Welcome to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Hello and welcome to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter. And it's very exciting for us today because we're on home territory uh, for this special Earth Day episode from Somerset House, where we're based. Many of you probably know Somerset House. It's on the banks of the Thames. It has a long and chequered past, um, began in the mid-16th century, demolished, rebuilt, added to over the years. And this current building where we're sitting was largely finished um, in the early 1800s. It's been the home of royalty, the Royal Academy, the Navy, and more recently, the Registry of Births, Deaths and Marriages, and HMRC. But in 1997, Somerset House Trust seized the building back and has brought it back to life and made it available for the public. And I think it's fair to say it's now home for a thriving arts and business community. Small businesses like ours, but also large charities and arts organisations, visiting permanent companies and exhibitions, not to mention summer concerts and the famous winter ice rink. But to celebrate Earth Day 2019 on the 22nd of April, Somerset House has pulled together a range of arts, events and shows and I'm delighted to be joined by Karishma and Justin who are coordinating and taking part in this extraordinary event. So thank you both for coming to Planet Pod and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So, Krishma, could I start with you? Because you carry the remit of looking after sustainability for Somerset House, but specifically you've been curating this Earth Day um, spectacular, I think it's fair to call it. Just for those of us who don't know, what is Earth Day? And so Earth Day is an annual event on the 22nd of April. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of celebrated by lots of different people around the world. Um, But for the last couple of years, we've used it as a moment within our kind of cultural calendar to specifically look at um, artists and creative projects that relate to the environment. Because Somerset House has quite a big commitment to sustainability in the environment now, doesn't it? That's been, I've been here for a while and I've seen that as a real shift and sea change in the thinking mm-hmm. of those that, that, that run the trust and run the buildings. So, so what is it that's driving your commitment to sustainability? Because this is a big, complicated plant to manage and there are lots and lots of businesses here. Two and a half, three thousand people on site? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I mean, obviously, kind of, it's been much more in the public consciousness over the last many years. Um, but, I mean, as you said, we have uh, over two and a half thousand people working in the creative sector here, um, over 85 artists and residents. Um, so, obviously, it's kind of a topic for conversation. And within our program more generally, um, it's all kind of responding to key issues of our times. So sometimes that might be talking about uh, technology or loneliness or ageing, but, I mean, you can, just can't get away from environmental projects as being kind of like key to uh, what uh, artists and creative people um, can be uh, engaging in and kind of bringing audiences on the journey um, along. And that's really important for influencing behaviour, isn't it? And I'm sure that's something you've found, Justin, in the work that you've been doing. Because, you know, I think back to some of the exhibitions that have been here at Somerset House over the last year or so. I mean, we had the pollution pods Mm -hmm. out in the courtyard, and and, and Michael, who was a guest on the pod, actually, uh, was talking about the impact that actually experiencing pollution through that installation had on individuals. So 
a lot of that drive is around getting us to change our behaviours, I think, isn't it? I mean, is that something that you find just in the work that you're doing? Is that what's motivated you to, to put together the exhibition that's here? I think this, this work really comes out of the, the notion that we need to be talking more about these issues. So uh, I was doing a lot of research for the work, for, for my work uh, as an artist, and as I was reading more and more people, um, writers and thinkers, philosophers, I started realizing, wow, this text is very, is very incisive. Um, it had a power that um, I thought was really worth communicating. Um, and so, I mean, that's really, it was trying to just spark more conversation. Okay. So that's, that's what really started the project. And is this the first kind of work that you've made around a kind of environmental theme, or is this something that you've been doing for a while? No, that's pretty much it. all my work focuses around uh, uh, the Anthropocene and the climate change and ecological collapse. And so uh, all my work really focuses on, on, on this subject matter. But the works that I make, uh, the, the form changes, right? The subject stays the same, but, um, uh, you know, the, the different iterations of, of, the same, of the same work. So. And, and how do you feel, I mean, because a lot of people would say, you know, I mean, it's interesting actually we're having this conversation today here because we're just on the edge of Waterloo Bridge and, you know, the Extinction Rebellion folk have been in residence overnight and they're making a very public statement about the the damage to the climate and our need to take action soon and I guess they'd say well we need to do something very very dramatic to get people to engage in this conversation is there is there any argument for saying that actually art is you know and works of art are important but actually we should all be just spending our time occupying bridges and forcing politicians to take notice I mean what do you think the value of something like an artwork is or an or installation of the kind you've got here well, um, part of the kind of development of this whole season was the kind of idea that, yes, we need all kinds of different um, conversations within our society to kind of instigate change of any measure, um, and that there's different types of conversations. So there's certain types of conversations that go on within governments, with politicians, with scientists... But um, within the creative sector, I suppose, with all the different influences and outputs, what we can collectively be doing is having all kinds of different conversations um, with different language used. So within the broader season, um, we've got a project called Anxious Ocean and the Moonbathers, which is a speculative design practice, far-flung future at the bottom of the ocean. We've got uh, a poet I've commissioned called Selina Nuulu, who writes about loneliness and the kind of day-to-day experience in the city. So I suppose what I'm saying is that sometimes you have... um, uh, very big, very, very visual work. Sometimes you have occupying bridges. Sometimes you're having a conversation about daily life and loneliness. All of that kind of leads back to kind of climate change and the issues we face. So I'd argue for multiplicity, generally. Yeah, to try and engage as many people as possible in that conversation. And, um, and part of the um, part of the season, we've also got you know some of the resident organisations, such as you know the restaurant Spring. Yes. Um, looking at, at the issue of food and food waste and mm-hmm. those sorts of issues. So. So I, I suppose it's about trying to allow people to connect at whatever level they need to connect at. That's exactly it. And, and art has this amazing, you know, unique ability to make reality transparent, right? So, um, it, it, so it has a it has a really important function, you know, in 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 terms of 
the ecological crisis that we face today. You know, we live in very fictional times, and art can function in a way that uh, it can give us access to reality. And so, a lot of a lot of this this work, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of these projects, really, when artists start engaging with the subject the subject matter, um, it becomes a really important tool, uh, an important tool for us to be able to access reality. So. Some of it's quite raw as well, isn't it? Some of the, I mean, you know, some of the, the phrases that appear on your, your screens outside, and some of the, you know, the, the conversations that we are having are actually quite difficult. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would disagree. I would disagree with that. Okay. I think they're there's uh, they're quite poetic. Um, I think they're very again incisive, and I think that uh, a, a lot of the text. Is very. Um, it, it might be a little somewhat direct in, in a way, but it's real. It's it's reality, and we've you know we we all live in our own little bubbles. And I think, uh, I mean, the whole role of this project is to help us see beyond that. When when I said difficult, I meant it's quite. This stuff is quite powerful. It's quite emotional, and it's quite difficult for people to sometimes take that on board you know mm. certainly if you're maybe having a conversation about loneliness mm. and, and I guess that goes back to your point about you know we live in a fictionalised world we'd rather not sometimes engage mm. in the stuff that we have to engage in so that's our role I suppose as artists and communicators is to say you can't ignore this stuff you can't get away from it and that's part of the reason we're using you know that's why I use the highway sign as a, as a medium uh, you know it, it has it's a loaded uh, metaphor right I mean it's it, these are that you have. We have a limbic response to these signs when we see them on the highway. We think of them as coming from authority figures. Um, so I think it's an, 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 the delivery device here. Here, the, the you know Marshall McLuhan used to say the medium is the message. Um, the, mm-hmm. the medium here definitely lends a lot to the message. Um, so, oh, what would you like people to do as part of this? I mean, obviously, we, we want people to come into Sunset House. It's an mm-hmm. open space. They can they can visit the art. They can engage with the, the community here but what would you like people to take away and perhaps what would you like the resident community to do as a result mm-hmm. of, of, of the program around Earth Day? Well the, the program is um, there's a lot of different elements to it but I think a lot of the projects that different artists who are based here and residents that are based here they're showing um, and talking about projects that they're actually working on within their own creative practices so they tend to be um, you know, kind of sustainable design products or looking at the circular economy, they're quite practical. Um, whereas uh, pieces like Reduce Speed Now, Justin's work in the courtyard, um, Chaos Spirit, which is our flag and audio commission um, by Serena Corda, I'd ask that people take that away, connect it to their own lives, and have a conversation with someone. I mean, this whole season is about the role of language, the, the kind of things that we tell ourselves and that we tell others in our kind of daily lives. So I think a, a win would be if someone was to take that back to their home, to their community, to their neighbours, and have a conversation that they might not usually have. That would be the biggest, um, most amazing thing for me. Yeah, and perhaps that conversation would prompt some change because ultimately we need to change our behaviours, don't we? Because we, you know... As globally mm-hmm. are running out of time and our client climate is under enormous threat so so if that you know if the work sparks conversation hopefully that conversation would spark some changed behaviors we, we need we need to think we need to get people to think right first and foremost before we start taking action what got us into this mess in the first place 
is taking action without thinking. So I think I agree with Karishma. I mean, this is why I think why this all worked out so well mm-hmm. is that we need to get people conversing. We need to spark conversation. And that's the, that's the whole role of at least my project here in the courtyard is to get people to think think about these important ecological uh, issues that we are disconnected from. You know, there's a gap between what we perceive and what is actually really happening uh, out, out in the world around us. We have a very large gap, uh, ontological gap, that we need to bridge. And, you know, today humanity is the greatest geological force on this planet. Uh, and we're not well equipped to understand this and to actually deal with it. So we need more, we need to put more uh, thought into what we're doing and we need to have more conversations about this to begin with. And would you see those conversations as being across disciplines? Because I can see that, you know, those who, who live and work in the arts can have that conversation. But you earlier mentioned bubbles. We might be in danger of just having a conversation with people who think like ourselves. How do we get other disciplines and other um, you know, aspects of human life engaged? Absolutely. I mean, that's why this is a public, a public artwork and everything's designed to be very accessible. You don't have to have a degree in art history or any type of art at all to be able to understand what you're seeing and experiencing in, in the courtyard. Um, so uh, I think that, that was, I think it's a very, so the idea is that we create something that everybody's invited into and everybody can take something away from. And those, the signs we have, we have 10 different voices and somebody will definitely connect with at least one, if not more or all of the signs. So, and it's designed that way to have a, a, a range of voices because this is this is an issue that's much bigger than us. We can't. There's no individual that can stop uh, climate change or or save save the planet. It's it's something that has to be done on a, a super national level, which means it's it's very very complex and and uh, it's it's much bigger than than any single one person can solve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'd I'd add to that that um, in kind of putting this season together, we were kind of very conscious of that. And um, I mean, Justin's work is an amazing example of really kind of diverse voices and global voices um, being brought together as part of kind of one project. So, for example, um, as part of that, we've got the poem Rise um, to... uh, two poets, um, one from kind of Greenland and one from the Marshall Islands. So thinking about people who are on the front lines whose voices might not be heard in a city like London. And if we kind of think about where most of the kind of uh, the biggest emitters in the world are um, in relation to who's at the kind of front line of climate change, that was something that has come up in your work. So thinking about um, equality, inclusion, diversity but also not just on the kind of global scale, but also thinking more locally in terms of our city. Um, so uh, someone like Selina Nuulu, who um, has written this six, uh, a series of six poems called Loneliness and Climate Change, she's talking about you know, daily life of like, normal people in the city. And um, I, think, I think it's very important. And it's very scary, I suppose, the kind of the scale of the changes that we need to make and some of the kind of language that is usually used to talk about climate change. So I suppose coming, coming back to that diversity of voices, diversity of kind of topics is, um, yeah, it's really, really important. Yeah, it can be a very daunting 
experience starting to think about some of these things and I think that people sometimes push away things mm-hmm. that are uncomfortable and unpleasant don't they and, 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 but we can't afford to do that any longer how could people engage with some of the work if they aren't able to get to London I mean is it freely available the, for example the, the poems and things are they mm-hmm. freely available on the website can people actually interact with this even if they can't come and see it um, yes, definitely. We'll be putting those online. Um, the sound piece as part of the flag commission is um, online already on the Somerset House website. Um, you can actually contribute to a, um, to reduce speed now. Um, Justin, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, we have one of the signs is dedicated to the public, the voice of the public, and anybody can submit uh, a three-line aphorism that's limited to eight characters per line, three lines, and they can just uh, put a hashtag, uh, reduce speed now, and then write their aphorism on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram, I think, and any social media. And then we'll pick up on those on a daily basis, and then we'll go through and edit them and then put uh, add, add some of the selects up onto the machine, and they'll, they'll be live the next, the next day. Um, and how, how long is the, um, the exhibition on for in the, in the courtyard? So the whole season is uh, 16th to the 29th of um, April. So we've got two weeks of reduced speed now here. And we're also doing one other uh, piece on online where we're doing a word of the day, uh, which is uh, with Somerset House and WordNick, which is a, an, an online open database for uh, vocabulary. And so we've have, uh, we have some almost 20, uh, 20 words that uh, we're also putting out, and, and those are strictly online. Oh, fantastic. So there's lots of ways for people to get involved and, and, and interact. Thank you both so much. Um, maybe we could just step out into the courtyard and have a look at the signs together. That sounds great. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you. Justin, we've come outside and we're in the very elegant courtyard of Somerset House, and in front of us are a number of well, I'm going to call them billboards, but they're not actually billboards, are they? They're kind of road signs. Is that right? They're... Um they're solar-powered highway message boards. Um, so they're what you typically see on the highway, warning you about what's ahead. <laughs> yeah, usually a traffic jam. And, and, and tell me about them. I mean, they, they're all displaying different words. And tell me about what it is that we are seeing in front of us and try and maybe draw a picture for the listeners who aren't here. So what you're seeing are a bunch of different voices that are, are belong to... Philosophers, thinkers, poets, uh, writers, who I feel are um, really important voices that need to be heard and, and further platformed, and that's why I chose them all to be to be here in this installation. Okay, and have you? I mean, how have you put them together? Do, does does each of the the signs? represent a different um, a different section of those voices so one would be devoted to poetry or are they all different you know muddled up sure so each sign is, is dedicated to one voice uh, some one of the signs over here on our right is uh, a sign dedicated to 12 uh, indigenous uh, elders from all around the world and so it's a collective uh, it's, a, it's a collection of of, of, of their voices um, the one right in front of us is from the French philosopher Bruno Latour, coming out of a recent uh, a, a book he's written uh, about uh, climate change and, and politics. Uh, over here on my left is uh, a poet from the island of Guam 
He's an indigenous poet who wrote this amazing uh, love sonnet. It's like a dystopian love sonnet based on Pablo Neruda's sonnets, love sonnets. Um, but he's made a he's made a really interesting twist to it, and that's uh, Craig Santos Perez's work. Um, behind uh, behind that in the in the back um, is uh, Marion Womack, who is a Spanish writer who lives here in the UK, and her text is actually it's an excerpt from uh, a book she's written uh, that is a is part of a new genre of fiction we call cli-fi, climate fiction. Climate fiction. Climate fiction, cli-fi. So cli-fi. <laughs> if, if you talk to um, people who are who write fiction, they say if you're not addressing climate change in the fiction that you're writing, you're not paying any attention to reality in, in the future. So this is a whole new genre. Now, right here in the middle is Greta Thunberg, or Greta Thunberg, as most people yep. pronounce we here. Yeah, yeah, she's the Swedish, 16-year-old Swedish uh, activist who uh, who's coming to the UK, I believe, uh, next week. And um, so this is a, a short excerpt from uh, a speech that she has given. And I just thought that the text was just very powerful and strong and important. Um, in the far right side uh, is a list, uh, it happens to be my sign, and it's a list of... Uh, uh, 200 years of extinction, uh, 200 years of, of species extinction. Uh, so that just constantly loops through this whole set, and we just updated it this morning because we've just learned today that there's another species has gone extinct. It's the the Yangtze uh, large uh, softback turtle uh, just went extinct. Uh, a couple days ago. Yeah, the so. last one was in a zoo, I think, wasn't it? Was it? The, That's the, right. The last Correct. Yeah. yeah. So that just died, <laughs> and so we added that. So this is a very, very current list, um, and so we have this really nice kind of mix. And in, in the back, we also have um, um, Zadie Smith. We have a. It's a very short, very poetic four lines from uh, one of her recent novels. That's there, and then. Uh, we have a, a public sign as well, don't we, that you were talking That's about right. earlier? Where That's right. And the, the public submit. sign is right there. Um, and so you can see some of the things that have been contributed so far is uh, Save the Bees. Uh, it's getting unpredictable. <laughs> Keep the coal in the hole. <laughs> so this is all. There is no Planet B. That's been around for quite a while. Yeah. Activists. Uh, our kids deserve a future, so we have time to act. So these are some of the ones that the public has, yeah, has given yeah. us. And then, of course, on, on um, Lancaster Place, we have a Timothy Morton, who this whole project uh, originally started started with, with Tim, and my conversations with Tim is how this whole thing started, actually. And, and the, uh, the very first sign I made last year was uh, a series of uh, ten aphorisms written by Morton, uh, and one of them is uh, for symbiosis reduce speed now and that's where the title of the show comes from yeah oh, that's fantastic and they have a kind of they're they're incredibly be- i mean they're quite stark but they have a kind of beauty to them don't they and they have mm. a sort of real energy and power and i think mm. for me the contrast with these um ultra modern and fantastic mm. that they're solar powered obviously mm. um signs in this rather aloof slightly you know steer courtyard it mm. was incredibly beautiful but it, it feels 
like something you know as we said back from the 18th century so yeah. so they have there's this juxtaposition of, of, of the modern and, and the old which works well in this space but these would work anywhere wouldn't they I mean you could take these to any city centre or any space and, that's right that's yeah. right so we've been I've been doing installing most of them in parks around uh, the US and a lot of the institutions have some connection to art and the art world but uh, we've also been trying to really focus on public spaces so uh, most recently, we had uh, the, the uh, we had a sign up. Uh, so this series is called "We Are the Asteroid," the one that, the three signs traveling around the U.S. right now. And we had one of the signs up on the Chicago Navy Pier uh, for about six months. And the Chicago Navy Pier, for those that don't know, I didn't know it at the time, but it's the number one tourist attraction in the Midwest. And so for us, that demographic of trying to get this word out was just fantastic. And that was a project that was funded by the Union of Concerned Scientists in America, a nonprofit. Um, they funded the production of that, of that work. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, so far it's been, the idea is let's get these, let's get people talking about these issues and get the works out into the public as best as we can. And what's the reaction been like here in London? Have you had any sort of I guess we're going to find out. <laughs> it's early days. Today's the first day. Today's it, yes, it just uh, it's opening today. So we've finished. Uh, we've finished. We're still making some minor tweaks, but everything was kind of in place last night around ten o'clock is when I finished. Okay. So by the time this goes out, which is actually going out 10 p.m. on Earth, Earth, Earth Day, people will have had a chance to, to, to look at it and actually perhaps also engage by submitting their own, their own aphorisms and their That's own right. words. So, That's right. So we'll keep, a, we'll keep a watching eye on it. That's right. Thank you yeah. so much for your time. Great, thank thanks you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You've just been walking past the signs and I've just been having a chat with Justin who put them together. What, what do you think of them? I feel like they're, they're very um, eye-catching. Um, it definitely make, grabs people's attentions when you're walking past. You can't miss it. And it does. So I'm walking with my other friends and we were talking about how we start to question our own kind of thoughts on climate change. And will our children question us and say, well, did you do anything? So it did make us think about the issue. And do you know what they represent? Have you got? I mean, is there, uh, have you been able to find out what they're for? Have you just walked into the courtyard and seen a? We've literally just walked in and no, yeah, we did just walk in and randomly see them. But we assumed because Bailey's been here a while looking at them, um, and he said that they're to do with climate change. And we stood and read them for a minute and because they're all different messages. And some of them are um, some of them are, are poets and writers. Okay. And um, this one behind us is from Greta Thunberg, who we all know and love yeah, as yeah. our climate change hero. But the one over there is for the general public, so everybody can submit their own words if they want to. Okay. Um, and so you've got a, a chance to actually put your own words in. And and what do you do? Are you uh, are you just uh, why are you here? Are you on your holidays or? Well, our friend Bailey is coming from Nottingham because we all did our um, PGC there. We became teachers in Nottingham, and then. Um, oh, what subject do you teach? Geography. Oh. Okay. Um, so, um, Bailey's come to visit us. And we've just decided to come here for the day. And so does yeah. climate change appear on the geography syllabus? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Both Key Stage 3, Key Stage 4 and Key Stage 5. Yeah. yeah. So, But we have no trouble convincing our young people that this stuff's important, do we? Well, I feel like, it, depending on how your curriculum 
um, or how your school teaches the curriculum depends on whether or not the children feel forced that they have to learn about it or whether or not it comes naturally to them. For example, um, if it's spoken about at a family dinner, then they're more inclined to be more interested in it during a lesson, whereas if children are learning about it for the first time in a school, they might feel like they're being forced to learn about it. So I think it's very dependent on the school and family, I suppose. And have any of your children been on climate strike in your school? Um, two of them did, but those were A-level students, so I guess they have more of an appreciation for what a march might be or what a um, protest might be, yeah, exactly. And, and how does that feel as a teacher, having students go on strike for the climate? Would you support that, or would that be something that you'd find difficult? Um, no, i definitely support that, I think. I think if I was in their shoes and it was going on at that time, I would go and strike. I mean, I remember growing up, my geography teacher specifically said she did not believe in climate change so it was a bit of a change um i'm not that old but it's a bit of a shift from now um i feel everyone is accepting of it particularly at a young age and so i think it's good if kids want to go out and um voice their opinion great thank you as part of earth day 2019 um somerset house had a range of different installations and exhibitions and artists working and I'm delighted now to be joined by Carmen from Hyphen Labs, who's going to tell me a little bit about the installation that you're responsible for, Carmen, and also what it means to be part of this wider artist community, particularly around Earth Day and some of the things that are driving this year's campaign about protecting species. So thank you for joining PlanetPod. Hello, nice to be here. So tell me a little bit about Hyphen Labs to start with, because uh, you're relatively new, is that right? Yeah. Hyphen Labs is a collective that was founded in 2014 by myself and my co-founder, Eje Tamkal. And we wanted to create a women-led studio that experimented and worked in emerging technology while addressing issues that involved our communities. In our communities, the ones that we identify with are those that are marginalized or underrepresented or can be considered edge cases. Yet we, and we found that, you know, we didn't see ourselves leading the, those, the fields that we were a part of. I come from a civil and structural engineering background. Edge comes from an architecture background. And when we met in grad school, we decided that instead of going back to the traditional careers that we had, we would try to create something ourselves. That's really exciting and really brave. Yeah, it was, it's been a roller coaster. Um, we've been you know, working in multiple cities, cross continents. Uh, we come from different backgrounds. We speak different languages and... Um, but it's really exciting too. It feels like we are getting to share the untold stories. And a lot of what you do is is about design, isn't it? So is that about finding solutions for um, problems or issues that people are facing, or is that more design in terms of the pure art sense of it? Mm, I would say that it it's both and neither. It can be purely artistic um, it can also be purely solution and goal oriented 
But what we tried to do is we tried to incorporate a lot of types of design into our work, whether whether that's critical design, um, speculative design, object design, spatial or exper- experiential design. Um, we find that using the framework of design and of architecture or of visual com- communication it allows us to express ourselves in new and creative ways that can be interpreted as artistic, um, but maybe that it's that's the interpretation for right now. Um, but in the future, this type of speculation or this type of creation is going to be necessary in order to be sustainable. So some of the work that you're doing is quite... Um, I mean, I've been reading a little bit about you. It's quite um, challenging in that it, it takes people into places they might not have expected to go. But it still has some of that element of, of trying to address a, a problem or an issue that needs to be solved, and but in a much more you know free flowing way, if I can put it like that. So rather than you designing a, a new I don't know receptacle for something, you would think about it in a much wider context. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, especially around problems that are quite difficult to discuss or quite difficult to. Um, you know, work in or, for example, the project that we're working in right now. It and a lot of the projects that we're seeing are kind of evolved around revolve around climate change, and the narrative around climate change seems to be stuck. And there's a huge climate anxiety, yet there's a lot of difficulty in figuring out what direction to go to. How do we um, globally take a stand and what we're trying to do is maybe take ourselves out of the present fear of what does climate change look like in 10, 20, 30, 300 years. But we're saying, look, okay, climate change has happened. There will be a mass extinction. There will be crisis. There will be devastation. But there will still also be life in some form. And just because maybe humans no longer dominate the planet or don't exist, does that mean that our consciousness wouldn't be embedded in the nature that surrounds us? And if our habit is to throw away all of the plastic and um, you know waste from our capitalist society and our consumer culture, how much of our own... Um, genomic footprint are we leaving on all of those elements and if they get tossed into receptacles and then somehow make their way to the ocean will the animals that and species that inhabit that space will they somehow or could they adopt our own um, consciousness our psychology and how would that change the oceans that's an extraordinary prospect and, and some of that is embedded in the in the work that you've created for Earth Day, isn't it? The, mm-hmm. the, and, and it's an installation down in the basement of Somerset House. Just tell us a little bit about that work and, and what you're trying to say through it. Sure. So the Anxious Ocean and the Moon Bathers is an installation that depicts the you know one day in a post-human world. Around the narrative that humans are always using technology to solve a problem. So we have created in this far future, we've created this metabolics, which is a um, 
you know, small, super intelligent robot that uses swarm behavior to, uh, and will be deployed into the ocean in order to clean it up, as well as classify and understand how it works. And what we're showing at Somerset House is the collection of what that those metabolics have found. So it, it is a post-Anthropocene um, micro-aquarium where you meet different species, different um, specimens. The phytoplankton, which are addicted to these plastics and gorge themselves um, to the point of passing out onto the corals, and the corals start to eat them and adopt human form. Um, there are clams that have kind of hive mentality and stay very close together, yet they praise this um, aquatis celebritas, which is a uh, comb jelly that comes around and has a light show and gets a lot of serotonin off of their um, likes and follows and creates kind of a vibrant display. Then um, in the lower parts of the ocean, looking at sea stars who can be very solitary creatures and maybe their loneliness drives them to look for love and they find love in the warm data cables that have colonized the seabeds. And through their advanced metabolism, they are breaking down, and since they're hugging these cables, they're breaking down some of the... Um, the you know, what is keeping the data inside the cables, the casings, and allowing the data that we've been, we've been passing to each other out into the ocean. So there is a whole ecosphere of, and a food chain of consumption of, of human mentality, of human DNA, of human form, of human data by these aquatic residents, and then how over time would it transform them. That's an extraordinary vision. It is an amazing piece, I have to say. Um, listening to you, some people would say that perhaps you feel quite, I don't know, a sense of apocalypse coming in and an apocalyptic vision of what life will be like, you know, as a result of climate change. Are you hopeful at all that we might come to some kind of um, accommodation for the changes in the planet? And, the, and, and I mean, I don't know that we'll find a solution, but are you hopeful that we might be able to adapt sufficiently to continue as a species? Or do you really think that our days are numbered? That's a complicated question. And it's not something that I totally feel prepared to answer. Um, the, I, feel, I heard one time at a conference that the only thing that we know about the future is that it's going to be messy, <laughs> just like the present. And so there, you know, there will be survival. There always is. You know, animals, nature is incredibly clever. And um, I don't know... You know, and, and I think one thing that we need to stop focusing on is that doomsday that we've been sold by science fiction writers or by the creators of the future. Um, and we need to kind of focus on who we are as a society now. Um, and we've, we're trying to do that through this work. We recently started also working with Dr. Romy Gadel Rab, who is a psychiatrist, and that's why we're starting to think about what are the stigmas that exist in our society. 
we have a hard time talking about mental health. We have a hard time talking about representation, about the assault to the environment, about the prison industrial complex, about all of these huge issues. And how can we formulate them in a way that gives us a access to talk about them and root ourselves in our, let's say, our present dilemma? Because regardless of if we're going to live in the future, we're killing each other now. So in order to save the most marginalized of our species, which literally has no voice, which is the earth, right? We have to stop killing each other. And so how can we do that? How can we have those conversations? And until we can have those conversations, I'm not sure if we can speculate on the future of our own existence. Um what do you want people to take away from the work that you've created? I mean, is it about provoking conversations? Because a lot of the discussion that we, we've, we, we've been having today has been about the need to think, the need to talk, the need to communicate, and a lot of what Somerset House's installation and exhibition is about is about that connection and communication. Um, so what is it that you would like people to take away from, from experiencing the installation? Well, I think there's also one of the things that was missing is there's a strategy that is missing um, in in these talks, in these conversations. How can we prepare and create this like global um, solidarity that allows us to expand our vocabulary, that allows us to enter the conversation from not just a personal perspective, but also from a you know, corporate perspective, um, and, or an economic expect, perspective. For what we do in our work, we want to inspire people's imagination. We want people to think about how they themselves can see themselves in new spaces. Um, how and what would your mental legacy be? If you know your DNA were to populate part of a species in the ocean, what would it be that you would leave behind? Would you leave behind hopelessness? Would you leave behind fear? Would you leave? Would you organize? Um, and so we want we want people to think about how we can approach some of these issues in alternative ways and how we can kind of destigmatize some of these issues that are really difficult to talk about and confront in a in a more approachable way. And I think the the nature of the installation the art that you've created downstairs allows you to do that because it has that sense of 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 immersion but also connection and you can come in and it's quite unexpected you come in off the busy main street and it's this really you know quite womb-like space and, mm-hmm. and it has that ability to take people to somewhere that they're not expecting to go I think isn't that as part of as a, as a, you know it's just someone who's come in and experienced it that's my sense of it yeah but we it wanted to, to in a way I wasn't expecting and we're using sound we're using light we're using visual elements to do that sometimes we think of it as a you know child's book style with adult content Um, but children are pretty well versed in this content as well Um, so it allows us to also have those communications cross um, like ages right 
and make it visually stimulating. We have, you know, it was really fun too to create these speculative creatures that now don't exist, but we can definitely see how our behavior could, you know, exist in other species. And so we want people to also imagine in that way um, how could they personally affect the world and what is it that they're they're doing. Um, how can we all organize together to make a difference, to make a to make a change, to have um, a larger impact rather than just saying, "Oh, I didn't recycle this," or "I, you know, decided to buy a plastic water bottle today," but maybe put more pressure on larger institutions um, and governments and. Um, fix some of the holes in our cultural fabric. That's a fantastic call to action. For people who aren't able to get to Somerset House and can't see see the work, can they can they access it through your website and um, is it available anywhere else for people to at least see? Because it's I'm sure people are going to want to look at it after hearing you describe it. Yeah, we will be updating our website and it will have more information on it. We're also hoping to create a book about it with um, kind of digital and a digital book and a digital version um, using augmented reality to explore the stories and um, embed animations. And also we would love to hear other people's perspectives and see how everyone else comes up with different animals and different environments. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to going down and having another look. Thanks. Thank you to my guests and thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you about what you think about Planet Pod. You can tweet at planet underscore pod or get in touch via the website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe and download previous episodes. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give us a five-star review. It helps us make better programmes. Be sustainable and stay green. Planet Pod is an Akil Sounds production hosted by me, Amanda Carpenter, edited and produced by Jim Haywood, with additional research by Beth Palmer.